Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 25. Psalm 25, we're interrupting our Acts series as we usually do something like this. We'll interrupt a long multi-year series at different points of the year, sometimes beginning of the year, sometimes summer, or sometimes fall. And here we're doing Psalm 25 for the next eight weeks with a series called Lift Up Your Soul. So I'd like to encourage you to spend time in Psalm 25 over these weeks for your own personal growth and devotion. I've been spending a lot of time here myself And God has been gracious to use it. Psalm 25. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners In the way, he leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble, and forgive all my sins." Consider how many are my foes, and with what violent hatred they hate me. O guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. It is clear, and we know it is powerful. It is not like any other book. We know that you are its author and that you have given it to us that we might know you and ourselves, that we might be changed. So teach us today and and change us. In Christ's name, amen. Psalm 25 is, well, it's a... It's a psalm of lament of sorts, right? It's where David, and we don't know exactly what prompted him to write this. We do know a lot about his life. But he's going through some kind of a chaos that is painful, devastating, crushing to him. And so he writes this psalm, the psalm where he is lifting up his soul to God. This is for anyone and everyone who has ever experienced chaos. I'm using that term broadly. But what what do you do when chaos arrives? How do you respond? 
How do people respond? Sure, that's a fine question, but how do you respond? Because we all know chaos. Either you've gone through it or in it right now, or you will go through it soon. It doesn't matter what age. Chaos is no respecter of persons. It hits everyone. Little boys who go to school know chaos in the form of, for an example, uh, the intense, unrelenting bully who will not leave him alone. He ruins a period of time in this boy's existence where he feels crushed in his spirit, unable to enjoy the day or his friends. He lives in constant fear. He feels unworthy. He knows chaos coming from the outside, from an enemy. What does he do? Or a professional, a a career woman who is working hard and is very gifted and trying to advance in her career, but she has an enemy in the form of coworkers or even an employer who is sabotaging her at every step. She's doing nothing wrong, but she's being hurt in the process. And so she's feeling crushed and overwhelmed. Chaos takes all kinds of shapes. You can think of the old man who in his twilight years through his own actions, has burned every bridge and eliminated every relationship and isolated himself to such a degree that he finds himself desperately alone. And it's his own doing. It's his own fault. And so the chaos in his life isn't the presence of all kinds of intense activity. It's absolute silence and isolation. And he's crushed by the quiet. What does he do? Sometimes chaos is just It seems random, the super healthy person who gets suddenly sick and dies. What do people do? Some people, when they experience chaos, right? The chaos meaning this this kind of sin or consequences of sin and brokenness in the world, when they experience the weight and the crushing reality of chaos, they simply hide. That's what some people do. They hide. They will retreat. They will not be open. They, 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 they try to be quiet and, and hope it'll blow over. Other people harden their hearts, right? They get calloused. Chaos hurts. And so they numb themselves and, and try to just ignore everything. And they, in the process, oftentimes stop feeling the pain to some degree, but even the good things. Other people move into hatred, Right? If they're experiencing chaos and they have enemies coming at them, they'll move into a, a point of hatred where now they are directing their energy and their anger towards individuals from a place of wrath. We respond in different ways. These are common. But what the psalm teaches us is to lift up our souls in the midst of chaos, to lift up our souls to God. And that's what this The next eight weeks are going to be about, we're going to hit different aspects of this, and today is an introduction to this concept. And I'll I'll give you a definition, right? Usually we have a sermon summary that gives you the theme of a particular sermon. We always want that for uh, what we do here at Redeemer, but today it's going to be a definition. Here's what I mean by lifting up our souls. Lifting your soul to God is offering yourself to Christ in the midst of the chaos for his help. That's what it is. The, I was reading this when I, re, I was reading this weeks and weeks ago. 
I, I, I got stuck on this very first verse. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. And it was like, well, I, I don't really want to be lifted. I'm tired. I don't want to lift up my soul, God. I want you to lift me up. Why am I having to, to carry the, the, the weight here? Like, I don't want to lift up my soul. It just, it just struck me. And so the more I spent time on this, the more encouraged I was. Because lifting your soul to God is offering yourself holistically, right? It's offering yourself to Christ in the midst of chaos for his help. So I just want you to consider this. Offering yourself up sounds like, it can sound like, oh, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? It's just, I just, it can sound like, well, work hard. Don't be a baby. Don't quit. Persevere. But that's not really what it means at all. Instead, it's an offering of ourselves to God. It transcends the situation that we're in. Because in any moment of chaos, there are, there are many remedies that we can use to address the immediate problem, right? Kids getting bullied, we all, okay, let me just say, if you parent your kids the way you parent them, and I will respect that, I teach my kids to engage the bully directly in whatever means is necessary to make it stop. So there are, there are immediate sort of repercussions that we, that we can take, and, and there, are, there are actions that we can take, but... Lifting up your soul to God transcends the immediacy of the situation to address the heart, not just of your circumstances, but your own heart, that you might be lifted up above it. We lift our souls, right, by offering ourselves to God. This is not self-help. It is the seeking of divine help. And we are offering ourselves up to God, specifically to Christ, because in him we find all the wisdom of God. In him, all the fullness of God, all the grace of God, all the mercy of God, all the help of God we find in Jesus. And this is in the midst of chaos, right, which I'm using this as a broad term because it encompasses both sin and the consequences of sin. Right? The chaos can be providential. There is no one to blame. Or it can be your own doing it can be your fault or it can be an enemy against you and you can look at them and say, it's, it's your fault. But the chaos is sin and its consequences that crush and it's an appeal for help, the help that only God can give. That's what we're talking about. But today, what I want us to do is answer a very simple question, five parts, right? Five parts to this message. How do we do it? How do we actually, practically speaking, offer ourselves up to God. And so today I want to talk about five parts, five parts to lifting our souls to God in the midst of our chaos. And the first one is this, you cannot lift your soul up to God unless you first recognize your need. You got to recognize your needs. And the needs are varied. Right? It depends on the, on the person. It depends on, on the circumstances. But we should all be able to recognize certain basic needs. If you're going to lift your soul up to God, you need to recognize your need for forgiveness. Note this in the psalm. Who's the victim in the psalm? David, right? David's the victim. He's the victim. He's, 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 he's been a good guy. He's been doing the right thing. But he never loses sight of the reality of his own sin and guilt. And throughout the psalm, he says... I need your forgiveness, Lord. I've got enemies. I've got people that want to crush me, but Lord, I, I need you to forgive me. He starts with himself and his own basic need of forgiveness. So you've got to recognize your need for God's forgiveness, his grace, his mercy, because no one is innocent. No one is guiltless. 
So we start there. And with this forgiveness comes the, 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 the need, the, 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 the recognized need for communion with God, fellowship with God. Another recognized need would be, we can call it peace. Because if you're, if you're experiencing chaos, then you, you understand, right? <laughs> chaos, in part, is the absence of peace and, and the presence of, of pain or disturbance. Peace. I've, been, I've read this book long ago, and I just picked it up and started reading it again. It's called An Uplifting for the Downcast by William Bridge. Great book. And there are parts in there that are so helpful. But in this book, there's a lot of talk on the need that we have for peace and comfort and joy. Right? Peace, comfort, and joy. These are things that we need. And in the midst of chaos, we desperately need them because they tend to be in small measure. How do we get those? How do we find those? When you're going through chaos, you need strength because you've been weakened and you are weakening, potentially. You recognize your need. Right? If you're going to lift up your soul for divine help, you have to know what's lacking. Peace, comfort, joy, strength, or just simple provision. We need God to provide. We need God to do. We need God to act. Whatever we need is outside of our, our reach. We can't lay our hands on it. We don't have the resources for it. So we pray and plead with God to give us what we desperately need. We need provision as well as peace. And perhaps most significantly, maybe not most significantly, but it feels that way, right, is hope. If you're in the midst of chaos, hope can be hard to see. <laughs> it's foggy. It's not just cloudy, right? You're, it's, it's right before your face. It's not just that you can't see the sun. You can't see the road. You can't see much at all. It's smoky, and so... We oftentimes lack hope that God will show up, that God will do what he has said he would do. And let me say this about recognizing your need, because if you really, if you really recognize your need, you will see how weak you are, how impotent you are. You'll even see how sinful you are. But let me be super clear, because I think we get this confused. Your need does not disqualify you from receiving God's help. Some people think, like, I'm in such a low estate, I'm in such a bad estate, I'm, so, I'm in such a, a dangerous or dark place, or I'm just, I'm just so crushed and vulnerable. Why would God look upon me? When the reality is, is, that's how God saved you to begin with. God draws near to people like that, to people like you. He doesn't forget you. He forgives you. He comes to you. You're... Your neediness is what fits you for God's mercy and grace. And you can't even begin to lift up your soul to God without embracing your need. Number two, to lift up your soul to God means you must embrace your purpose. Now, we've talked about this quite a bit here at Redeemer, right? And I'll put it this way. There is a calling that we all have and that we all share, and then there are various callings within each of our lives individually. And we, each one of us should have good clarity on what these are for ourselves. Every Christian is created by God for God. The way the Puritans put this is, is our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, right? We exist to glorify the Lord. So there's, 
this comprehensive calling on our life. And in the midst of chaos, when everything is swirling around us or we just feel cloaked in darkness, it's easy to forget this, for this to drift out of our mind. But knowing and remembering, no, 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 but my first and primary calling is to glorify God wherever I am, whatever I am going through, is helpful because it orients us again, like a compass. And we then need to say, like, okay, that is my primary calling in life, but then what are my callings and, or responsibilities that God has given me in the life in which I live? So you could think, like, if you're a student, that's one of your callings. If you're a, a son or a daughter, then that's one of your callings. If you're a husband or a wife, those are your, that's your calling. Your vocation, your, your work, that's a calling that God has on your life, at least for the time. And recognizing those callings under the umbrella of the calling, again, orients us. That's the significance of embracing your purpose. It orients you to where you should be under the rule of God. Let me just read a, a couple of passages. They're like 1 Corinthians 10, 31, right? Uh, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Romans eleven thirty six. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. This is the way that Christians orient themselves in all circumstances with this primary understanding that God is worth all glory, which means we then are created to reflect his goodness, his, his brilliance, his beauty in all that we do, in all that we experience. St. Augustine as this statement, and this speaks to that orientation aspect of this. Augustine prayed, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. That's a very simple way to put it. In the midst of chaos, what do we need? Rest, peace, hope. And until we can understand, I exist for his glory, for his goodness, I can't experience that rest because I will continue to endure a restlessness within my own spirit. So you have to recognize your need. Number two, you have to embrace your purpose. Number three, you must seek God's face. Lifting up your soul to God, right, is an offering of yourself up to him in which you are seeking his face. The lifting of your soul is a, it's to draw near. That's what it is. It's to draw near to God, volitionally. It's a choice, right? It's a, it's a, it's a movement of the heart. It's what we read in James 5, 8, 4, 8, where James says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. We seek God's face. We draw near, and the response is he draws near to us. Now, we've, I've recently, we've recently talked about this concept of seeking as we were going through the book of Acts, so I don't want to spend a lot of time here. Just a reminder here, uh, just a few passages for you to consider what does it mean to seek the face of God. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. 
You know, I, I know what it's like because I've done this, and I know you've done it too as a Christian, right? Like, I don't understand. God's not doing anything. I'm not experiencing anything. And much of the time, not all of the time, but much of the time, we aren't drawing near to him, and yet we're expecting him to draw near to us. We're expecting to experience God's grace, and yet we are distancing ourselves from the means of grace. We have to draw near, seek him. Second, or Psalm, uh, Psalm 105 Verse 4, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Seeking the Lord isn't just this abstract idea of experientially getting goosebumps because you liked the crescendo of a song in a praise uh, chorus that you're listening to. Uh, it means to seek him specifically, to, speak, to seek the God of Israel, the God of Isaac and Jacob. It's to seek Yahweh. It's to seek Jesus Christ and to seek his strength, to seek his presence, because therein we find the answer to the very needs that we have. We are seeking him specifically. Listen to Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, right, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin. Seek my face, which means what? It means Intimacy, I want you to, listen, I don't need you to be in the vicinity. I want you up close. God's commanding us, telling you, come close to me. Metaphorically, look me in the eyes because what you will find is grace and acceptance because of Jesus. So we seek God's face, and the way that we do that is through the, the means of grace, right? And we've talked a lot about this, and I know that for some of you, you just think like, ah, bah, 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 I know, I know, read your Bible, pray every day, I know what to do. I'm supposed to do these things, and if I do these things, everything's going to go great. No, 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 you're going to do all these things, and your life can go to pot, totally. Your life can fall completely apart doing all the right things. Chaos comes in the midst of you doing these things. The problem is, is when the chaos comes, we stop doing these things, and then we experience something worse than the things. We experience coldness, hopelessness, a kind of loss of ourselves, not just our property. Use the means of grace. The means of grace are the things that God has given us that when received by faith, God helps us, changes us, grows us. The scripture, read the scripture, must read it. And I'm not saying you're going to read the scripture and then you're going to feel great. I'm saying if you don't read the scripture, you can't grow stronger, better. Your faith will not strengthen apart from the word. You must read it, meditate on it, listen to it. I love the Dwell Bible app. You've got to pay for it, but it's worth it. If you can swing it, I love the Dwell Bible app because I want to hear they have like 10 voices. I pick a certain voice, and then I pick the ambient sound music because I'm weak. I need, I need the ambient sound music. I need some kind of help. And just listen to the word over and over again. You've got to draw near to God. You have to seek his face through the means. That means the word of God or prayer, worship, where it all comes together, the ordinances, fellowship with other believers. So you recognize your need. You embrace your purpose. You seek God's face, and you must repent, 
of all known sins. This is number four. Again, we're going to hit this again later, but we see this in the song, right? In the song, David, even though he is the one who has enemies attacking him, their sin is what's causing him so much misery, but he never loses sight of his own guilt, his own need to repent. You cannot experience the joy of salvation if you don't recognize your need for it. You need forgiveness. You need forgiveness every bit as much as the enemy who conspires against you. And we have it. But it's almost like you don't have it if you don't remember that. I mean, you have it, but it's like the reality, like my sins are forgiven is great, but knowing that you were forgiven in the moment, that's, that's heaven. That's beauty. That's relief. That's joy. So we must repent of all known sins. Just like we read in 2 Chronicles 7.14, right? Seeking. Seeking is tied to repentance, right? Drawing near. Lifting up your soul is always tied to repentance. Or when, when Jesus, in Matthew 4, uh, verse 17, the, the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, it says, from that time, Jesus began to preach. So what's the first word of Jesus' message? It's repent, right? From that time, Jesus began to pe- preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The re, the re, it's the same reality today, even for the Christian, right? Especially for the Christian. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, meaning God is close. He is near. He's not far away. So repent and receive his mercy. It's, it's important that we not only recognize that we are guilty, that we are still sinful, but that we recognize our particular sins, our particular shortcomings, and this is not a time to simply beat yourself into a kind of, of misery where you are just consider yourself nothing but a beast or a worm where you're buried in guilt. That's not what this is about. This is about recognizing the depth of our sin, the significance of our guilt, our need for God's cleansing and acceptance and justifying mercies and receiving that. And letting that be a hallmark of our faith, our ongoing faith. By the way, this prevents us from being self-righteous, holier than thou, as we look at other people, even our enemies. Because we need forgiveness just as much as they do. We need to repent just as much as they do, if in an entirely different area. Recognize your need. Embrace your purpose. Seek God's face. Repent of all known sins. Right? Don't let one buy because you, in your mind it's smaller. I, I can tell you from experience. I mean, the Bible tells it, but I can tell you from experience. Uh, if you leave that sin alone, it grows. It doesn't die. Super long shelf life. Does not give up. Repent of all known sins. And again, this is another reorientation. It's like seeking God. Repenting is a reorientation. I recognize my need. I recognize God's grace. All of this. You cannot lift your soul up to God unless you get this. And then fifth, finally, um, to offer yourself up to God is to believe God's promises. Got to believe the promises of God. Here we're talking faith, right? What? is faith. Faith is not agreeing to a fairy tale. Don't let your 
unbelieving friends mock your faith as if it is a wishing or a pretending it is not. Faith is a reliance upon what God has said and done. Hebrews chapter 11 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. It is not the assurance of things imagined. The assurance of things hoped for. And what are we hoping for? For the very promises of God. For restoration, for healing, for forgiveness, for a new creation, for a new order, for things to finally and be made right in this world where there is justice and peace and prosperity and flourishing for everyone. That's the end game, right? True and full redemption. This is what faith is. It's an assurance of things hoped for, dependence upon what God has said. See, faith is not just believing in God. I say this to myself a lot. It's not about believing in God. It's about believing God because he is, and he has spoken, and he has promised, and he has warned. He threatens. Believe him when he speaks. This is faith. And what faith does is faith rests or trusts it receives, right? That's how it's said in John, as many as received him, that is Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God. How do you become a child of God? Well, by believing in Jesus, but it doesn't put it that way. It says by receiving him because faith is a reception of God's promises. Faith has open hands and accepts. We believe God's promises. This is, this is it. So as we begin our journey through this, because I know from talking to you that many of you are going through chaotic times. Many of us are hard, confusing, and your, your, your feelings are, are all in the, in the mix, and hope can begin to wane. And so what we need to do is draw near or lift up our souls to God willingly, continually, progressively, Imperfectly. So it would be helpful if you knew what your chaos is. Because sometimes when it starts, we're not really sure, we're not really clear, it just doesn't feel right. You know, you might be experiencing some depression or anxiety or something, but have some clarity. What is your chaos and what are you doing? Are you hiding? Are you hating? Are you hardening? Or are you lifting up your soul? Chaos is common. Chaos is common. It's sometimes it's self-inflicted. Sometimes it's others initiated. Sometimes it's just providential. There's no one to blame. But it's it leaves all of us in the same basic position of need. So we lift up our souls. That is, we offer ourselves up to God. This is what we are called to do as believers on a daily basis, particularly in these hard times. But this applies to everyone, including, including those of you who do not yet believe. It's because lifting up your soul to God is, is not you working to make God happy. It's simply offering yourselves up to God to receive his promise to help. 
And so the very first time you believe, the very first time you trust Jesus, you are lifting your soul to God. It's, it's really a response to the invitation that Jesus gives to everyone. For example, in John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me draws near, right? Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus says, come to me, lift up your soul. As Christians, we're good at lifting up our hands. Well, not here. Most of you are a little too uptight for that, but like, I'm too, me too. Some of you, some homeboy up here, man, whoa, he's doing it. I like, I, that's all cool, man. Good. Do your thing. I love it. Um, but like, we lift our hands. You know what we do here? We lift our voices. That's good. It's biblical. It's not enough. You have to lift your soul to God, and he will save you. He will heal you. He will support you. If you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. He is the God of your salvation and the help of your soul. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your mercy and your kindness, and we ask that you would move in us, that we would offer ourselves up to you, that we would seek you, that we would repent, that we would believe, that we would do all of the things you call us to do, knowing that as we lift up our souls, you are descending, you are condescending in love to meet with us and to rescue us. In Jesus' name, amen.